So we are in week three of a series called In God We Trust. We put it on our money. We don't live it out all that well. If you were here week one, uh, I've been sharing with you that this is a heart issue. This is not, Jesus does not need your money. Jesus is doing fine without your money. His car is nice. His house is good. Jesus does really well. Um, so, so he doesn't need your money. As I shared with you earlier, and I'll continue to share with you, Jesus is not concerned about getting your money. He's concerned that your money is going to get you. This is a heart issue. He gave a profound heart training directive, which I am going to keep hammering home because I need to understand it myself. It's historically been taught the wrong way. Jesus said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's been traditionally kind of taught that if you love God, right, this means if you love God, you should give money, right? Wherever, whatever it is you're passionate about, we can check it by looking in your checkbook. That's not the case. What Jesus is actually saying is, listen, if you want to train your heart, here's what you need to do. You need to start investing not in the things of this world, but you need to start investing in the things of the kingdom of God, where moth and rust will not come and destroy. Where your treasure goes, where you put your stuff, your heart will go that way. This is a jump start to a discipleship program. Invest there, not here. And then last week we got practical. Last week we got practical and we, we looked at a foundational truth that comes up in Scripture over and over and over again. It's the concept of stewardship, which at its heart is this. All of our stuff, all of our things, not just some of it, not a percentage of it, everything we have is not really ours. It's really God's. It's been given to us as both a blessing and a test to see what we are going to do with it, where we will invest the king's treasure. Because after a while, we're going to not have it anymore. You will hand it off to someone else, and then God will see what they do with it. We, we got even more practical. We talked about the biblical model of managing the king's treasure. It was a 3P model. I don't usually do alliteration. Most of the time I find it cheesy, but uh, this time I... I thought it actually worked and it was just kind of accidental because this is how the scriptures say that we should handle the king's money. The first thing is we, we need to plan and then we need to prioritize and then it's about percentages. And so last week we started with planning, right? Like you have a massive responsibility. You would never in other areas of your life have no plan. You would never hire a financial guy and go, well, just do with it what you want. I don't care. You would, you would demand from him a plan. And so as stewards of the king's resources, as in a sense, as financial planners for the king, what's your plan? It's not okay just to go, well, you know, I ran out of money. You know, I, I live paycheck to paycheck and I keep running. No, no, no. We need, it's biblical to have a plan for your money. And so last week I gave you a resource, Dave Ramsey, who's, who's you know, probably the preeminent biblical money guy right now out there. Um, he has uh, a budget that is available, a budgeting system. It's called a, a zero-based um, budget, which essentially means your, your, your income and your expenses should total down to zero. I gave you a budget that you could have access to. I, I, I had it out at the Engage Center, but it was online. Um, and it even had percentages on there, like here's how much you should be spending on utilities, here's how much you be spending on housing and cars and all the rest. Great model to follow. This week, we upgraded it for you. 
If you go to the Engage Center out there or you go to the Engage tab on the Menham Hills website, you can download an interactive version of that where you can actually start putting your numbers in. And you can, you can sit down with your husband or your wife, you can teach your kids. This will show you how to budget. So that's available for you on the Engage stuff. It's free. You have a biblical responsibility. You are managing God's stuff. Now, last week we talked about what we do with that plan. That plan essentially, at the end of the day, while Ramsey's got a lot of lines on there, at the end of the day, that plan only has three choices of what you're going to do with God's treasure. The first thing you can do with God's treasure is spend it. Anybody remember what the average percentage of Americans, what, what the average American is spending percentage-wise of his annual income? Anybody remember? We're, we, we are rock stars when it comes to spending. I mean, we are crushing it if that was the goal. If the goal was to get rid of the Lord's treasure and to burn it up on ourselves, I mean, we are just crushing it. 130%. Some of you are math people and you're going, that doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense. Um, they're, they're, this is why uh, you know, there's Visa and there's MasterCard. There's a reason they call it MasterCard. Because it becomes your master really quickly. Some of you painfully understand this is not a good practice. And you're doing it with the king's money. Talk more about that next week, actually, a little bit. Okay, so, so we, we, we're crushing it at this. Then the next thing that we can do with, with our money, and we have a biblical responsibility to do, is to save our money. Maybe you were here and you remember, on average, the average American is saving somewhere between 4 and 5% of his income on an annual basis. And so, you know, we're killing it over here. We're doing really well. We're spending like crazy. So we got, that, you know, that bucket is, you know, I'm, being, I, I'm joking here. Obviously, this isn't good, but we're spending like crazy. We don't save that much, but we save a little. And I mean, just on a whim, if there happens to be anything left, just like, you know, if, 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 if you know, we got a bonus this month and something kind of drops to the bottom of the line, every once in a while, we give 2 to 3% of our annual income. And in general, in the American household, and unfortunately, oftentimes in, in most Christian households, this is the priority. These are the percentages we spend in, and this tends to be the priority in which we spend. I get money, the first thing I have to spend it on is who? Second thing I need to spend it on is who? Me later, right? Um, and then the third is if there's any over, well, you know, if there's any left over, I might give it to God. That's the priority. But the biblical model is completely inverse. It calls for us to put God first. In other words, it's first fruit. That's the concept of when, when, when the, the crops would grow, okay, in an agricultural economy, that was, that was big deal, right? You, took, you, you went out and you got the first fruits of your harvest. What God would say is, bring me that. Well, wait a minute. I waited all year for that. What do you mean, bring me that? What if I bring you that and no more grows? That's the point. Trust me, bring me that. Right? We like to go, well, let me, get, let me get everything, let me spend it on me, let me save it, and I'll give you that. Biblically, no, 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 you don't bring, as we talked about last week, don't bring the three-eyed sheep, you know, the two-legged ram, right? Would you give that to your governor? No, Malachi talked about, right? We're going to change the priority. Then we talked about the concept of a tithe. Our percentages are whacked out, right? The scripture teaches in the Old Testament this concept, this Levitical law of a tithe, which essentially just means, it sounds like a religious term, it means a tenth. And so Israel was commanded historically under the law to bring one-tenth of what they had annually into the temple as an offering to God. 
The real truth is, it's not taught often. There was actually three tithes in Israel. Two occurred annually. One of the tithes was every other year. And so on average, Israel was actually commanded to bring about 23% of what they had annually in to the temple to give back um, into the work of the ministry. Now, we don't live under Old Testament Levitical law. Jesus set us free from the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, the scripture says, so it's not like he said, oh, forget it. He came to fulfill the law, meaning, right, what we couldn't accomplish by being good, he accomplished for us through his, his death and his resurrection. But because we live under this covenant of grace provided for Jesus, why would we as followers of God think that, oh, I don't have to give 10%, now I could just go back to 2%? Because everything is bigger and greater under Jesus in the new covenant. What he's done is so beyond what could have been achieved. Why in our minds would we start going, well, it doesn't matter? Now, here's the deal. The New Testament is very clear, though, because God doesn't need your money. The New Testament says, look, you should just give what you've decided to give. God wants a cheerful giver. Don't, listen, if you're grumbling about giving, I want you to hear this from me, too, as your pastor. If you're grumbling about giving, don't give. God doesn't need your money. Like, don't give. God loves a cheerful giver. Our giving is a response, right, to what's been given to us and for us. All right, so that's the concept, priorities and percentages. When I closed second service last week, I, I, I held up uh, each of these buckets and I said, you know, if you look at, at this bucket, what's behind this bucket is clothes, cars, houses. There's a lot of things behind that bucket. You know, what's behind this bucket is a condo in Del Boca Vista, phase two, right? So we have somewhere to go when we get old. What's behind this bucket, though? See, oftentimes it feels like it's going into a black hole, but what's behind this bucket are faces and people and lives and eternities. You don't see it often, but what, what's behind this bucket? Because you don't necessarily taste the benefit of it. It's, it's profound. And so what I, w I wanted to do this morning, as, as a Christian Missionary Alliance Church, we are um, asked every year to, do, to give one Sunday to mission, the Christian Missionary Alliance missions around the world. And so when we, when we set out this series, we intentionally set it up so that we would have our mission Sunday in the middle of this concept because I want you to see that this is not a black hole, that your giving matters. And so I wanted to make it as real to you as possible to help you understand that you are investing, when you give to Mendham, you are investing treasure into the kingdom work of Jesus. Anybody remember Tim and Rachel Meyer? Some of you, if you've been at Mendham for a long time, do. Tim and Rachel Meyer were our first uh, youth pastors here. I picked them, I remember picking them up at the airport, and you know, he probably weighed 150 pounds wet. Um, you know, his glasses were as big as his head. Um, and, uh, and they were young and new, and they took a, a youth group of about 10 kids and turned it into like 80 kids. God did this phenomenal work in our church with Tim and Rachel. But see, Tim and Rachel caught a bug it's kind of a Christian missionary bug, a missionary alliance. It's part of our DNA where all of a sudden you start going, you know what, the Lord, I sense that the Lord has a call on my life to bring this message of Jesus, the hope of Christ, the forgiveness and grace available to people. I feel like God wants me to bring that somewhere. So they left our church and, and took it to France where they were missionaries in France. 
And they served in France for about five years and, and subsequently came back and now run an entire ministry for the Christian Missionary Alliance called Envision, where they have mission sites around the world. Tim, one of our kids, leads that. He's a face behind this bucket. I asked him this week, I, I called him, I said, hey, uh, talking to Menem about you and, uh, and your face, um, how'd you like to share it with us? And uh, so he sent me this. His glasses are still kind of big. Hey, Menem Hills, Tim here. Sorry, Rachel couldn't be on the video with me. Wish we were there with you in person. Hey, just wanted to say thank you for giving. Thanks for giving to the local church and ultimately to missions as it relates to that. When Rachel and I left uh, Menem Hills in 2008, so many of you faithfully gave. And as part of your giving, we were supported as missionaries in France for four years. And then when we transition back to the States, we continue to benefit uh, from your faithful giving because the Great Commission Fund, uh, of which the church is a part of, helps missionaries and mission initiatives get going all over the world. So you're not just giving to a black hole, as John sometimes says, you're giving to real people. And I want to say thank you. Uh, because of your giving, People have come to faith in many, many countries as part of Envision Ministries that I lead and uh, as part of our ministry in France. So keep on going. Thanks for your partnership. Looking forward to see what God has next for you. See, what we're, uh, what we're investing in together is serious business. This is not a joke. There's a lot of risk here. Many of you know um, Brian and Michelle Davis. Brian was on st a volunteer on staff at Mendham and running our youth ministry uh, for some time. Uh, in fact, run, uh, he, he partnered with Tim Meyer um, in that. Uh, Brian and his beautiful wife, Michelle, were part of our church for many years. They grew up in the CMA. And they got the bug, like the DNA got them. And they started thinking, you know, I think the Lord is calling us. And like, you know... It, you know, Tim Meyer, he's soft. He went to France, right? Like, he's having a baguette and talking to somebody about Jesus. But, but Brian and Michelle, they went to Senegal, Africa. And that's like real Africa. Not like, you know, they weren't like on a game farm in South Africa. This was like chickens in the house Africa. And, uh, and so these guys have been kind of heroes of mine for a long time for how they've lived their lives and how they've served Jesus. Again, just another, another you know, two of our kids that essentially left and followed Christ. And so uh, when I was at district conference, we had about 120 churches or so in our district, I walked in and caught the end of this uh, film. It's a five-minute film on uh, Brian and Michelle's work. Check this out. We served with International Ministries in Senegal for two terms, uh, working among the Wolof people and involved in church planning and evangelism. Through some redirection of God, uh, leading us to get more education uh, for our kids, uh, some of whom have some special needs, uh, we're going to stay here in New York. It's been a big adjustment for us to go from a large village in San Luis or a small city. Our kids very much feel at home and comfortable in Senegal, and this transition has been a big transition for them, but God has been so gracious in giving us glimpses of Senegal right here where we are in New York City, 
As we walk down the street, we hear lots of languages being spoken. Each day we hear some Wolof, we hear some French, and that's just a comfort to our kids. And just little things like the fruit and vegetable stands on the side of the streets, it just reminds us of how we bought our fruit and vegetables, and we can do it the same way here in this city. And going into little um, boutiques and little corner stores, it's just how we would buy stuff. And so it's been um, just a special gift that God has given us as we've made the big transition from living in West Africa to living in New York City. And God opened doors for us to continue to use the, the Wolof language and the French language that we spent so long working to get uh, in the West African community here. And so we are connecting with West Africans uh, and Senegalese here in New York City. And we'll be starting an Envision site uh, here in New York as well. Immigrants around the world are still very tied to their home communities. And the wonderful thing is that as they are removed from the social setting where there's pressures and persecutions and so many more barriers that prevent them from choosing to follow Jesus, when they come to uh, the West or they come to a place where there's just a significant gospel presence, uh, there's more freedoms that they have to be able to listen to the gospel and, and choose to follow Jesus. And we're leveraging that for the kingdom. Just the other day we were at a park and there was a Muslim lady fully veiled and she, we were chatting with her and she asked uh, me very directly which is better to be a Christian or to be a Muslim. And I was answering her kind of diplomatically and sharing a little bit of my story. And another West African believer came up and heard her question and told her, Christ is alive and Muhammad is dead, which would you rather follow? And just walked away, continued with what she was doing. And by the end of the day, we heard that this woman had come to Christ and had removed her veil. So it's just exciting to see what God is doing in the city. Additionally, those who leave their home setting and come to for work or for education, uh, they seem to have an extra advantage too to be able to speak back into their original culture. Because of the education that they're gaining or because of the finances that they're contributing to the family, they just uh, their voice is heard more loudly. And we'd love that voice to champion Jesus. One of the things that's really exciting about this ministry is to be able to um, develop and raise up leaders within the diaspora communities and there's been several opportunities just even in these last few weeks to do that and to see people who want to go into ministry and encourage them in their journey. Two weeks ago I met two uh, West Africans who are both here for ministry reasons. They're seeking God's calling and uh, want to know what God is asking them to do to serve Him. And they came to the United States to get some missions and uh, pastoral training. In the global missions picture, one of the things that the West um, has to offer to missions is the education piece and providing training and opportunities for people to learn their skills and take them back to the countries where they've come from. Um, and that's something exciting that we can be a part of. One West African pastor that we've connected with came about 15 years ago as an immigrant himself, uh, spent his first two or three nights on the subway, had nothing and uh, had no place to go. Local established church partnered with him, a CMA pastor partnered with him and championed for him. What started as a French Bible study has grown into a two to three hundred person congregation and is now doing some amazing things for Christ here in New York City. Uh, we want to connect with other immigrant Christians who may become the next pastor uh, that may start churches here in New York or back in their home countries. 
Clearly, God has ordained this time for us to be able to reach unreached peoples around the world, right here from this one city. Now, here's the difference between Brian and Michelle. If I had been over, overseas, in, in, in real ways, suffering for, for Christ and, uh, you know, kind of living where they were living, and one of my kids got, got a special need and we needed to come home, I'd be going, well, this is a sign. This is a sign. I've put my time in. It's time to go back to Mendham, New Jersey. Not Brian and Michelle. They came back and moved to Harlem in the South Bronx to find this same community of folks and to pour into their lives. So uh, I have asked Brian to come and just give us a couple minutes on what he's up to. Would you wildly welcome Brian uh, Davis? Here is his much prettier half, by the way, Michelle. If uh, stand up, Michelle. Thank you. Uh, how many of you caught the word diaspora in that film? Anybody? Is anybody familiar with that word, diaspora or diaspora? Depends how you pronounce it. Yeah, it has to do with. Uh, it means immigrant community, and uh, it actually appears in the Bible in Greek in a couple places. Uh, this is one of the things I can translate. For, I didn't study Greek, but in Greek it actually is diaspora as well. <laughs> and it shows up in the book of Acts in a couple verses that I'd like to read. Acts 8.1 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the, except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in chapter 11, verses 19 to 21, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So this word we see here translated as scattered, uh, dispersed. Uh, and that's how the early church began to grow. As uh, Christians were dispersed, the gospel and its message went with them. They weren't afraid, even though they were being persecuted, to continue to speak for Jesus. And the gospel started to cross ethnic differences. And we are the benefits. We reap the fruit of this crossing boundaries. Today we have the opportunity to follow Jesus if we're not Jews because of this. And uh, Today, there are still uh, lots of people on the move, if you pay any attention to the news. In fact, there are 232 million international migrants around the world right now. That's about 3% of the world's population. They're on the move for lots of different reasons, some to escape wars and famines, some in search of better jobs or education. And many of these individuals represent uh, large groups of people who have as a whole, limited or no access to the gospel. And these people are coming to places like New York City and Morris County and other places within reach of the gospel. And I want to tell you a story of one of these ladies, an immigrant from Senegal. Her name is Fatima. Each night in her New York City apartment, Fatima was plagued by terrible, uh, oppressive dreams. Dark spirits would restrain her and stir up fears in her, and she was tormented for years by these dreams. Interestingly, she started to see Jesus in her dreams. 
She had no idea why or how Jesus could show up in, his, in her dreams, and so she was asking her family and friends around her. Her aunt told her, uh, reminded her of who she was and her identity as a Muslim, uh, that she needed to continue to pray her five prayers a day, and, and don't worry about that, Jesus. Uh, we don't need him, she said. Fatima was so upset by all of these dreams that she was uh, often crying and had a difficult, difficult time keeping it together, even at work, uh, being sent home sometimes early. Fatima needed a Christ follower in her path, someone who could point her to Jesus and explain what was happening in her dreams. Now, Fatima is not alone. There are more immigrants in New York City than there are uh, in the, the entire population of Chicago. And I believe God is inviting us to help people on the move encounter Jesus, some of them for the very first time. And our vision, as we start an Envision site in New York City, is to see diaspora communities reached and engaged for God's mission. We're starting in the West African community of Harlem and the South Bronx, as John said. We're also working with the Arabic-speaking community in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Our organization, Envision, which is a ministry of the CMA, works internationally and in the U.S., and this allows for us to bridge that international, cross-cultural ministry and church-based ministries here in the U.S. Envision identifies and uh, develops missional leaders who strengthen communities of faith in key urban areas around the world. And for us, we find this is a great fit, that we get to engage with unreached peoples and uh, also train and develop missional leaders through interns and short-term teams that we will host. Interestingly, of the people on the move around the world, almost 50% of them are already followers of Jesus. And in fact, because of some of the U.S. immigration law, that percentage is higher for those coming into the U.S. Um, but for a multiple of reasons, many of these Christians are not able to join in God's mission to the full extent that he would have them. For the young man I mentioned in the video who eventually became the pastor, some of the hurdles for him were that he didn't have any English. He didn't have an opportunity. He needed somebody to disciple him. And uh, someone eventually gave him a, a, the first opportunity to, to start a French-speaking Bible study. It was simple. And now we're looking for more young leaders to launch into ministry like that pastor. To continue our story, one day uh, Fatima encountered this French-speaking pastor that we mentioned in the video. And she shared about her terrible dreams and uh, that Jesus was showing up. Uh, he helped teach her over the next couple years how to call out to Jesus in her dreams. And she started to do that and, and, and see the, the demons flee. But she didn't experience complete freedom. She still couldn't yield to Jesus completely. And uh, at one point, Jesus even reached out to her in her dream, offering his hand to her. And she refused to take it because she had the words of her aunt echoing in the back of her head. And uh, she woke up so distraught. She was afraid that she would have to face those dreams for the rest of her life by herself, that Jesus would reject her as she had rejected him. And so uh, for the next couple of days, she could barely sleep. Uh, eventually, she called the pastor and uh, explained what she had done. She was so ashamed. His advice to her was to just ask Jesus what he thought of her. 
And so that night before she went to bed, she prayed and asked him, Jesus, uh, are you still upset at me? She went to sleep, and that night she had another dream. This time, as Jesus was walking by, kind of in the distance, she was expecting him to keep going, not even to look at him, look at her. But instead, he turned, and he waved, and he smiled at her. Mm. And she woke up with a deep sense of joy and happiness that Jesus had not abandoned her. Jesus was the, uh, still loved her, and she had nowhere else to go. In the quiet of her apartment, she committed her life to Jesus that morning. And she hasn't looked back. In fact, when I first met her, it was right in this stage. And she, uh, she said, I'm a, I'm a strange kind of Muslim. <laughs> the one who follows Jesus and has nowhere else to go. <laughs> She's uh, changed how she describes herself now, but she is uh, an amazing woman of God uh, who, who, and her family has seen amazing changes, dramatic changes in her life. Hmm. She's been able to lead other people to Christ as well. And God is doing a wonderful thing in her life. One of the people that she was able to, to point to Jesus had a similar experience, a similar story, uh, struggled with uh, demonic oppression in her dreams as well. And uh, she was able to be there to pray for her and deliver her from these spirits. And this woman also felt such a release from the fears uh, that it changed her overnight. And she decided after being in the States for seven years, uh, trapped by these fears, that she felt free enough to go home and visit her family. When she did that, her family noticed such a dramatic change in her that they said, who did this to you? What happened and who did this to you? And so she explained how Jesus had encountered her and set her free. And they're like, yeah, 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 okay, Jesus is a prophet, we know that, but like, like who did this to you? <laughs> and she had a tough time explaining it to, until she said, well, just call my pastor and they are now in the process of discovering who Jesus is by phone from West Africa in discipleship with this pastor who is still in New York. Uh, we want to see more of that. We want to leverage the, the networks that immigrants have for family, for friends, for finances, all of that for the kingdom, and let Jesus travel those networks as well. Practically speaking, Michelle and I uh, walk the streets and uh, ethnic neighborhoods looking for more people like Fatima to introduce them to Jesus. Uh, we're involved in equipping diaspora believers in partnership with three immigrant pastors, and we're considering helping provide some needed services in our communities for immigrants, like ESL or legal, legal advocacy services. Uh, we're at the beginning stages, so we're just figuring that out. But over the next two years, we would like to see 10 biblical storying groups launched, Ten ministry leaders developed who are heading into full-time ministry. A host of individuals and teams from uh, churches in this area who get a taste of what God is doing in diaspora ministries. We want to see ten partners, partnering churches, diaspora uh, ministry leaders, churches partnered with established churches. And we want through all of this to see hundreds of people come to know Jesus in New York, in Morris County, and around the world. When you give to that third bucket right here, this is what you're participating in. You're participating in things that will last for eternity mm. and have that kind of significance. And I thank you.
Yeah, it's who we are. It's what we do as an Alliance Church. When you give, I mean, you can give directly to mission. As an Alliance Church, you can write on your check, you know, what portion of this you'd like to go to mission. Um, or you can just give and know this. Every year that I'm aware of, this church has always more than tithed back the giving that comes in onto the mission field. So we are, you're tithing to us, we're tithing back to the mission field. So uh, I just want to encourage you um, that it's not a black hole. And I want to close with a Jesus story for you. I told you that Jesus, more than half of his stories were about money, which is weird. I mean, think about all the things he had to talk about. I mean, he had a lot on his plate, and half of them were about money. But there's this one that just resonates uh, with me, and it's because it was like a warning. In fact, this is what Jesus said. Watch out! Exclamation point. So it was more like this. Watch out! Be, watch out! Be on your guard! Be really careful against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do we, friends, in Morris County, New Jersey, in Mendham and Randolph and Long Valley, New Jersey, do we need to hear that message today more than ever? I mean, we give lip service to this. Most of us would never say out loud or even consciously think that our life, should, well, you should measure my life based on my stuff. You know, nobody really believes those that die with the most toys win, as the bumper sticker says, but we don't live that way. We know life is about relationships and love, and those of us who are following Jesus, we would say it's about knowing him. I love how the Westminster Catechism puts, puts it. It sums up life this way. What is the chief end of man? Does anybody know this? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love that. We know it, but, but we know it, but we don't live it. Because if we're honest, and if I'm honest with you, the thing I spend my most time on the thing I work hard for, the thing I worry the most over, is my stuff. My titles and my toys and my trophies. I mean, we judge each other this way. When you go to a cocktail party, what is the first thing you ask somebody you meet? What do you do? Which in our minds, could we just be honest, okay? Which in our minds translates, how successful are you? How much money do you make? because now I know how to frame you and judge you. Here's what Jesus says. Oh, watch out. Be really careful here. He goes on. He goes, let me explain it. Church, he says, to rich people like us, who I know you might not feel rich, but in the history of the world, you're wealthy. In the reality of this present world, everybody in this room is wealthy. Here's what Jesus says. He goes, look, the ground of a certain rich man, it yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And so here you got a successful guy. Not only did he have enough for today, not only had he done the responsible thing, he'd already filled his barns, but he had extra. He had extra. Here's what I guarantee. If you went to the guy and said, do you have extra? Do you have some extra money? Do you know what I think he would have said? No. I don't have any extra. I just have enough for what I need. If I said to you today, I'm going to pass this bucket around, and here's what I want you to do. Just put your extra money in here. How much would this come back with? Change. I don't have any extra. I'm barely getting, but not only do I not have extra, I need more. 
until I walk around the garbage dump in Guatemala City, until I walk around the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, until I have dinner with our Grace House guests who have nowhere to sleep tonight. Then I start to go, you know, maybe I have a little more than I thought. This is what the rich man said. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones and then I'll store my surplus grain in the bigger ones. And I'll say to myself, you're a winner. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Upgrade to the three-bedroom condo in Del Boca Vista, not the two. Eat, drink, be merry. I'm going to give, I'm going to make, you know, the FDIC will only insure $100,000 per savings account. I'm going to, I got to spread it out. I'm going to make sure that the day is coming when I don't have to work anymore. And I'm going to make sure I leave such a legacy for my children. I'm going to set them up so they don't have to work anymore. It's not just about wealth. It's about generational wealth. And when I do that, church, hear this. Here's what is at the heart of this teaching. Here's why this is so dangerous. When I do that, I will have no need to rely on God anymore. None. I won't have to worship him or revere him because I have no need for him or use for him because I have become my own God. Look at me. To which Jesus says, Whoa, this is really dangerous. Remember that other side teaching, easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? This is why. So Jesus, you know, soft Jesus, he's just, you know, he's just loving all the time. Here's what he says. But God said to him, you fool! Another exclamation point. You fool. Now, look, I've gone back into the original Greek here. I've been parsing this. I looked, at, I looked at how you could view it in different ways. Here's what it actually means. You fool. <laughs> you are a fool. You've made a huge mistake, a grave mistake. You wasted your life. You thought it was about getting more stuff. I know you would have never said that. I know, I know you never felt like you had enough stuff. But you fool. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus said it with a tear in his eye. You fool. Because this very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. And then who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it's going to be with whoever stores up for themselves, things for themselves, but isn't rich towards God. You wasted your whole life. You thought it was about the titles and the toys and the trophies, and you gave yourself to them. But now you're just going to have to put them down and hand them off to somebody else. Guys, I've been sharing with you, money in this scripture is a test. God wants to see who he can trust with his stuff. It, it, it matters in this life, and the scripture teaches it matters with what you'll be gifted in the next. Jesus says to, to, to this rich farmer, you failed the test. And now somebody else is going to get everything that you worked for. And then God will see how he handles it. You fool, you wasted your one and only life. Jesus goes on, he says, so listen, don't set your heart on that bucket. 
Don't set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The pagan world, of course, they don't trust God. They don't know him. So they think they have to provide for themselves. But you, the pagan world runs after all such things, but your father knows that you need them. Seek his kingdom. And then these things will be given to you as well. Our money says, in God we trust. Do we? It's a hard issue. Jesus says, look, set your heart on things above. Don't set it on the spending bucket. Trust God. Seek first. Invest first in the kingdom of God. The spending bucket will take care of itself. Band, if you guys would come up. Jesus closes with this. It should sound familiar to to, to you at this point. How do you seek first his kingdom? How do you not become a rich fool? Here's what Jesus says. Sell your possessions. All of them? No, no. That's a story particularly for the rich young ruler, if you know the scripture. But maybe some of them. And give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure over there. Invest over there in the kingdom of God. Invest in the things of God. That will never fail. No thief comes near. No moth destroys. Give radically. It impacts people like Brian and Michelle and Tim and Rachel and Dan and Miriam. Think about it. If you gave radically, just... Just think about Dan and Miriam, right? If you gave radically to Dan and Miriam, wouldn't your heart start to drift over there? You probably wouldn't need to be reminded to pray for them. It's the same when we invest in the kingdom of God. Our heart goes where our treasure is. And Jesus concludes the story of the rich guy that built bigger barns with the same place we started a couple weeks ago. Church, where your treasure is, Where your treasure is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be too. Jesus, we pray for Brian and Michelle and their incredible ministry that you would break down all barriers and strongholds, that great fruit would come to these people in in the South Bronx and in Harlem. Lord, we pray for Dan and Miriam in the dangerous place that they would serve, that there would be a radical outbreak, a revival of the gospel of Jesus. And for Tim, who is running ministries around the world, Jesus, for our sons and our daughters that we have sent out, we pray that you would anoint and prosper them. And Lord, for those of us that are senders, that you would would teach this truth to us, that we would become radical givers, planners, and prioritizers. In the great name of Jesus, I pray.